Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. So what, what's it been like since uh, while I was gone for you, like what, at work? Like how, how is it in the, hmm. the, this time, you know, the continuation? Um, I mean, definitely the continuation of the same. Had to extend the project deliverable deadlines, mostly because, you know, the reality is starting to hit that there are still a lot of things that both the client and contractor and everybody are are seeing that maybe rushing so quickly to it you need to slow down a little bit and so it's not a slow down it's just you know let's give us time to make the right decisions which are absolutely the right thing to do but maintaining and making sure that everybody is still not losing focus it's like oh does that mean that we can take our foot off the gas it's like no you can't take your foot off the gas however you can slightly lifted just a hair mm-hmm. you know some deadlines aren't changing some deadlines are and but at the end of the day i mean all of the major milestones really haven't shifted it's just you know some of the ones making sure that you know we're just getting all of our decisions made correctly which you know makes perfect sense so you know we're doing that and just continuing to chug along you know we're starting to get to the point where we are seeing that you know, as much as you've got Zoom or Teams or whatever else, and you've got, you know, like your little whiteboard or whatever, or annotate and Zoom, there are still some things that you sort of kind of need some, you know, paper and pencil to kind of like convey some ideas. And so we're, we're kind of looking into, you know, the notion of, you know, maybe getting like some Wacom tablets and, you know, things like that. So people can kind of like be able to like, you know, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, you know, I, I've I've been making do, but there would be a lot of times where, okay, let's cut a section and then let's, you know, kind of like start adding some of the detail to it. So, you know, we kind of know what it is and it would be far easier for me to just, you know, do like a real quick sketch of that. But when you're talking about it, and you're talking about it real time. I mean, normally when I'm sitting there with somebody, pull out a piece of paper and, you know, we would you know, sit there and kind of like, you know, look at the screen, see what, what the condition is, and then do a real quick sketch of it. And that's been kind of a disconnect from, from kind of the process. We're starting to kind of recognize that, you know, some of those more fluid things that we do in architecture are, are, are missing, you know, from like the larger scale conversation. And so we're going to, we are trying to remedy that. Um, Still, no plans to go back to the office yet. Plans to open it up as a resource, things like that. But yeah, that's that's one of the things that I think. You know, I was on a call yesterday and the day before. Your guy John Eaton was on that call too. Yep. And um, it was interesting because you know one of the there there was a couple of like breakout session kind of workshops for this, and one of the things that that our group discussed pretty in depth was purpose of physical office, right? Redefining the purpose of it yeah. as we do or don't go back. I mean, and then I think it also starts to speak to resources available as needed by individuals in lots of locations, like you're talking about, like 
hopefully maybe low cost devices so that we can work how we need to work and not force everybody to type everything through a keyboard, but collaborate sketch. Right. Um, and so it's like a lot of that is solved by technology, but a lot of it's kind of solved by the culture and leadership's vision of what the future or the, the immediate future or the maybe even the now of our practice needs to be, which is kind of redefining the purpose of a space to collaborate in and what technology maybe is there to support that to happen so that it gets captured. And then you go back to your location to do, you know, your own location to do your work. Um, and, and so I, you know, a lot of firms are struggling with the whole, large monitor situation is is probably the number one thing right because we do yeah. need that to do the type of work that we do and so there's a lot of stories about people lugging these monitors back and forth when they do need to go in and do something and then taking it back home and that just sucks and so it that to me is like there, there's no actual direction to say this is how you should use this space which architects are actually pretty good at but we kind of ignore it ourselves mm. um versus what spaces either are or are not intended to be right so if you've got an office location where it its purpose is to collaborate right all you need is like a little device that you can take there and plug into something larger or just have the tabletop so that you can sketch right um on right. trace and then just capture that with a photograph or whatever um and then take that take that small stuff back to where you're going when and so that you can do the work on it right to get to the next um get together right but that isn't really being well i don't know if it's not being well conceived well communicated um i don't i don't know what the problem is there but it seems like there's still a lot of we're trying to force a certain way of working which is super limited upon all of our people so they're not being as effective as they can be. And I, I don't even want to say efficient. I just want to say effective, right? Like right, you're talking right. about the, the kind of stuff you guys have to slow down. And it's like, well, because we're, we're pushing so hard. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty around the mm-hmm. economy and stuff like that. So people are worried and they, they are putting their heads down and working really hard. But at the same time, like if you don't have the right tools in the right place and you don't have the right purpose in the right place, then it's really hard to be effective and you're just kind of doing busy work and maybe you're not doing it or the type of work you're doing, you're not doing as well as you could because there's so much muscle memory built into the way we've, we've done things for so long and that's all disrupted right now. So it's like, I don't know, are you guys talking about that with your office? Are you talking about defining the purpose of a space like that and maybe what it is not as well? <laughs> um, that has been definitely ongoing conversations that we're having in the office. Um, I haven't necessarily been involved with all of that conversation because, you know, I, I kind of have to put blinders on and hit deadlines. work on hit, hit deadlines and, and make sure that, I mean, I've still got all the, the cat herding that needs to occur. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, that is, that those are definitely conversations that have been going on. Yeah. Um, which is, they're good conversations. I mean, it's just some, you know, different opportunities for what the office can and probably should be, you know, both for just like 
flexibility of your employees. I mean, a lot of times, especially now, I mean, you know, we've seen people leave offices and, you know, not just in ours, but in, you know, other friends, you know, with in their offices where we've, you know, seen people leave their office because they want to move, you know, either, you know, closer to family or somewhere more affordable and stuff like that. And so we lose those people. And, you know, if we're able to, you know, accommodate them, you know, in places where they feel comfortable to live, but, you know, we're also, they're able to like, you know, work, continue to work for us because they're good people and we don't want to lose them. Yeah. I mean, those, those are the things that, you know, I mean, you know, I, I keep like harkening back to the story that you told about the guy who, you know, bought a place in Tahoe. Right. I mean, you know, it doesn't physically need to be in the office and, you know, for him to be living there, but then being flexible enough to be where he needs to be or where the office needs him to be. You know, those are, you know, that's kind of the thinking that we need to be at now. Yeah. Really. So with that one, it wasn't a struggle, but, but I have another example where it really was, where we had a guy move to Colorado and everybody loved this guy. He loved working for us and he wanted to stay an employee, but life situations made it so that he had to move to Colorado or wanted to move to Colorado and, and did. So we don't do business in Colorado. So he could not be an employee because of, you know, California labor law. I don't know what it was, but it, it was it was not possible. And so it was like, OK, well, you could start your own LLC and you could contract with us, but we can't be your only source of income. Right. Again, California labor law says that anybody who's a quote unquote consultant has to have like work with many different entities, not just one. Because, right. I mean, this is like the whole Uber thing, right? Like, this is the whole gig economy thing, where, like, if you're doing all your work for one company, you're an employee, you are not a consultant, right? That's what California's stance on it is. So, a super sticky situation exacerbated by COVID. Like, that was all pre-COVID, right? But now, like, when people actually can move and work from anywhere because it's we've proven it, right? Duh. It was obvious before. Now it's super obvious that the type of work that we do, maybe maybe not in all situations is the best scenario, but it's totally possible to do that. And we're totally held up by these by these rules that won't allow it. Um, so I, you know, this kind of gets back to rethinking a lot of that stuff, or right. is it, or is anybody willing to rethink that stuff at at all these different levels so that we can make these things happen and progress. Or are we just going to be stuck in this framework that was designed when nobody thought, number one, it was possible, that number two, a pandemic would happen? Like, whatever the reasons are that were outside the framework previously are now, like, front and center. And it's like, are we actually going to redesign stuff, or are we just going to continue to pretend like things were the way that they were? Right. Which, you know, is going to be an interesting one where we really have got to change, because... We had an employee who worked in our D.C. office that left and went out to, you know, with family and stuff to California. And she was able to stay employed for a short period of time with us. And then, right. yeah. you know, unfortunately, we had to let her go because yep. of California labor laws. Exactly same. And, yep. and we were just like, wait, that, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is definitely one of the people that we wanted to keep at the office. Right. And. They, you know, they couldn't because of, you know, the way that things are. And so, I mean, you, one hopes that we are going to, you know, start really looking at 
the the reason why you know like i mean it it only benefits so like rather than you know the state of california losing you know whatever kind of income you know that they would get taxes or whatever from Mm -hmm. that employee just you know allowing them to like move out but still work for a california company or live there and work for a east coast company i mean there's a there's there's i don't know the particulars on why but there's a lot of a lot of uh you know, say, for instance, I wanted to go to Michigan, but I want to keep working for ASG. You know, can I still do that? Because I'm going to be living, you know, closer to family and more affordable and, you know, just giving an example. Yeah. Um, and then like for the for the firm itself, you say, oh, well, you know, there's the opportunities, you know, to possibly have people in the Midwest where we do, you know, Midwest projects and things like that. And so we're able to like, you know, have you know, people service those clients a lot better because we have somebody closer to them. There's there's those kind of things. But then, you know, you look at the state laws and stuff and how, you know, like the employment laws like California is the, the one where it's just like, sorry, man, if you're not living, if, you know, you can't draw an income from another state if you're living here in California. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. It's just weird. And then to bring it back to like the the office and the, that collaboration space that you need for the type of work that we do sometimes, not all the time, right? Right. Um, right. And at certain points of a project, not all of it. Um, a, a someone on the outside, you know, who is coming in via Zoom or coming in via Teams, is totally a second class citizen to those who are actually there. Right. Right. So. That is a huge issue that is, again, going to take a cultural shift within our offices or our profession at large if you want to really blow it up, right? So right. If, if that person can't get into the conversation and doesn't have kind of equal access to the information or what's happening or being able to read the room or the conversation or see what somebody's drawing or they're out of the loop. And so... Like to me, that's the worst part about this hybrid situation of potentially, you know, offices opening back up with 25 or 50 percent capacity is no matter what. We saw this before where before COVID happened, anybody on a conference call who wasn't in the room was basically not on the call. Right. They were basically not in the meeting. They couldn't get a word in edgewise because they can't read the room. They can't see where the openings are. Um, and there's a lot of crosstalk if that happens, and it's disruptive to everybody. People in the room forget there's people on the call. Okay, so now that's not happening because the playing field has been completely leveled. Everybody has the same situation, and so this works, right? Where yep. everybody's yep. calling into the centralized location, and everybody has equal access and equal technology and all that stuff. So we go back to a hybrid situation. How are we going to intentionally make sure that those people are included so that they can work from anywhere and we can have that kind of autonomy and, and freedoms. And because like school is a real deal, right? Like people are not going back to work when there's no school period. Right. 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 So like this, and and people have those different situations. You've got people in different stages of life and, and you've got somebody like one thing I've constantly kind of worried about in the back of my mind is how do people get mentored in these situations? Right. How do young professionals overhear the senior project architect working right. through these issues when they're they're not on a call and these like those those that just doesn't happen, right? Like 
Could it happen? Yes, it could happen, but nobody's just going to leave an open channel on all day, every day when you're at your home and there's other th- other crap happening <laughs> that you can't necessarily control, right? Because it's not an office setting. So, right. Right. man, there's there's a lot of things to kind of work through and consider there and experiment with and not necessarily have to know all the answers, but at least start to push in a direction that enables this new way of working to be as effective as it can be and and realize that like man it's going to be a long time until 100% of these people are back in the office and it'll probably actually never happen because you know every survey i've seen shows people want to spend two or three days in the office yep yep and the rest of the time at home yep. and so how do you start to coordinate that crazy crazy schedule that's going to be insanity right that's unless there's tools that automate the crap out of it and people are super flexible which they're not going to be (laughs) because you can't because there's so many other things going on um and and really like your salary pays for your time and that time does not run 24 hours a day so like there's built-in constraints there that aren't going to be overcome and you shouldn't be on call all the time Right, you should have to. You should be able to be reassured that your off hours are off hours, and you're not fully tethered to the office. Yeah, because insanity, right? Like, or sanity. Uh, both. Yes, it is both. So, man, like, like we have a, a sea change coming. We're in the middle of it. I want to know who's really addressing that and how they're addressing it. I think that what. Why are all of these firms and you know architectural engineering construction firms working on this in isolation? Why aren't these discussions happening out in the open, or are they? And and I'm missing it. Like the ones that I was in the last two days, it's a lot of firms kind of discussing ideas and working together. But those ideas were generated in isolation and then just shared in a common right. forum. So why aren't they actually just happening in open forums as a profession so that we figure this out together and then work with local policymakers or state policymakers to change the rules so that the new way of work is that it actually works rather than always trying to find a way around that? Because how else is it going to change so that somebody can move from DC to LA and continue to work for the same company because they want to and because the company wants to employ them. Right. But man, yeah. it's a lot of extra work that nobody wants to do, right? So I, I guess that's the answer. But it's uh it's not gonna happen by itself. Well then it's just gonna continue to be what it is. Totally is, hamstrung. Yeah. Exactly. And people who are going to firms are gonna continue to have to keep replacing people. Because, you know, like now, definitely, and especially, you know, once things go back to air quote normal, nothing is really going to be normal. Well, and in look at like what you just said, keep replacing people. The same yeah. thing happened in the last big recession, which was institutional knowledge walked out the door. Right. And so your hundred year old firm is starting with 20% to be generous of institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people just left the profession altogether. Like that's real institutional knowledge that is completely lost. They're not even taking that to another company <laughs> that could maybe benefit yeah, from it. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, that is 
we all know that one of the biggest struggles, you know, especially since the 2008 recession, one of the biggest struggles has been to find those people, those, you know, 10 to um, 15 year people yeah. that that knowledge that's just not there. Right. It doesn't exist anymore. Right. And and yeah. they're being replaced with emerging professionals who don't have that kind of long-term loyalty built in to a company. Right. And there is the gig economy and there is the portfolio curation and there are the exciting projects at this firm and then this firm and then the next firm rather than all lined up at the same firm, right? So so the 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 culture is seriously shifting because the the perspective of the employee has seriously changed. And that's been enabled by technology, but it's also been enabled by those recessions because it's just basically built a model where nobody's going to stay anywhere. I mean, obviously generalizing, but still, it's it's not a good place to be. And so how come our profession isn't working as a profession? Like, I, I just, I always find it really interesting that there is l- so little sharing going on because everybody is so hyper secretive about the way that they're building is or they're not their building their business is perceived mm-hmm. right versus how it actually operates which are typically two completely different things got to keep that perception out there that that this is an amazing place and it's like falling apart or maybe it's the opposite i don't know i'm i'm just shooting examples here but it's like instead of just being transparent and open there's this level of opacity that's super super opaque so that nobody really knows what's going on because if they knew what was really going on they would certainly leave right like it's it's it's, uh it's kind of a that is built into our culture and i think it just becomes kind of default operating procedure so um man i wish that there was a lot more transparency amongst firms to just ensure that we have a good foundation for our profession moving forward because that's in the best interest of the future generations of this profession um and the only way to do that is to actively engage and make it intentionally so. But that doesn't happen. Or maybe it doesn't. Yeah. I'm missing it. Because it's a huge problem. It's a wicked problem. Like, let's it's be honest. A it's a, this is a wicked problem. It's not an easy thing to solve. There's not necessarily a right way. But that is what we do all the time. We go down these paths of designing a project, not knowing the outcome. There is no way this is not a math problem, right? Like this, we don't know what that building is going to look like, function like anything and we do it over and over and over again and we're totally cool with that so why don't we take a step back and look at that as our profession because that's exactly what it is and get the brightest minds in our profession together to say like let's take a stab at this design problem it may not be perfect but it doesn't have to be like we're always in this evolutionary project the past shouldn't matter as much as it does right it's the past Mm -hmm. we can't change it we learned from it we're going to use that information moving forward but we're not going to continue to do it that way just because that's how we've done it and push forward with all of this new information that we have and just stop hoping things are going to go back to quote-unquote normal right that would be awesome that would just be amazing so how can we put this group together (laughs) let's put this group together yeah yeah. I mean, your firm has those people. My firm has those people. All of these firms that we're talking with have these people. They just have to be willing to 
to work on it together. And man, like not everybody has the same needs, but you could probably get 80%. You know, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? You could get 80% of it and then the other 20% is customized to you. Yeah, it always seems like everybody's, they're stifling their growth by protecting their own. And the problem is, is that they're not protecting their own because they're stifling their growth. Yeah. You know, it's just this catch 22 of like, we want to, we want to grow. We want to be flexible. We want to do this, but people seem to be very unwilling to like actually do what it takes to do that because they are trying to protect what they already have and being flexible, being mobile. I mean, again, you know, we talked about this in the past, but being flexible and being mobile is what's going to really save this profession and actually make it grow. Yeah. And highly collaborative, like add that part in, right? Because good ideas come from everywhere. And I think like those things actually can go together. We have the tech to do that right now. Mm -hmm. But again, we're kind of operating as if things will go back to how they were. And I, all of the writing is on the wall that that is not going to happen. No matter how much somebody wants it to happen, unless they just say, these are the rules and everybody who wants to work here must follow them, which totally could happen. But that's not going to be the majority of firms, especially in today's landscape. Like there's when when 80 percent of your employees say, I want to work two or three days a week, like the company's got to listen to that. Right, right. They have to. Well, if if they decide to ignore it, those people will just go. And like people, everybody knows how expensive it is to hire new talent versus retain existing talent. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, and when you're, you're growing your firm, you're growing people who buy in on your vision of the firm and your values. Yeah, exactly. And your values that you, you want to retain those people. You want them, you know, and you want to perfect. You, you said it perfectly being, you know, it is extraordinarily expensive cost wise to the firm itself. But also projects suffer when you have that, you know, hiccup between incoming and outgoing. You know, I mean, how many projects have you worked on where, you know, maybe it's not necessarily your firm, but you're working with, like, say, an engineering co- you know, company or something, mm-hmm. and they've got new people coming in, and mm-hmm. they're just like, you know, excuse me, you know, I'm, I'm you know, kind of like, and so you lose, like, that, the institutional knowledge of, you know, the person who used to be working with them because that person, you know, what, however, whatever they left, you know, they left and now you're having to do that. Or, you know, it's just like, you know, Hey, this project is, you know, is done with, you know, we need to put a new, new person on it. And you know, that anytime you've worked on projects like that, just, it takes a lot out of the ongoing project. To One step forward, two people. steps back, right? Every yeah. time over and over again, there's so over much over. waste there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about the, mindset shift it would take to get the profession to move forward together even though everybody's going through the same situation and via sharing ideas and best practices or what's working and what's not working would make so much sense it's so difficult to actually make something like that happen right and there's so much like commiseration because every firm is going through the same stuff. It's so funny. Every time you get on these multi-firm calls, it's like, oh man, I'm just glad to hear that we're not the only ones. Like there's so much of that. <laughs> and then and then you think about it, it's just like, okay, 
if you're not the only ones, <laughs> then why then why not do something to change it? Yes, absolutely. And and where's the AIA in this? Right, like like the one thing that kind of ties it all together. Where where is that? And and so then you start to think like beyond your business, right? You start to think about what is the future of our profession? What is the future of our practice? What does that look like? Is it a is it a platform that we tie into? Is it a, something that we we run? Um, mm. Oh man, how do you even get there? Because yeah. now there's implications of we talked about this stuff before. You have to change the entire education system so that people are prepared to get into that profession. Because right now everyone's being prepared for two things. They're being prepared for running their own firm by themselves, which is the whole license model, right? right. You get you right. get tested to run a firm by yourself. <laughs> and or be an employee. Right? But but nothing bigger than that because the education system is heavily design based for the most part right? Of which how many of those people actually become designers? And then the license system is completely based on legal, right? Code and legal and running your own firm, which is the antithesis of what you went to school for because there were no business classes. There was very little code. You have one pro practice class, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so those things aren't in alignment. And none of those things even the way we practice right now are in the alignment with what the future of our practice is. And everybody's so worried about their project or their business that they're not reaching out to have these conversations together to say, how are we all moving forward in our, so that we're not disrupted by the Googles and the Facebooks and everybody else who wants a part of this multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar industry. Right. And we do less and less while they do more and more. Right. So, like, who's going to do that? Like, who's going to do that work? Because it's such a huge, wicked problem. You have to work with agencies to stop saying that the deliverable is drawings, right? Otherwise, right. these models we make are are pretty useless, right, for the yeah. most part. Um, you've got to work with legal, and you've got to work with risk so that you say, what is the standard of care? Define the standard of care. Def- redefine the standard of care. Redefine the instruments of service so that they're modernized, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I yeah. say on my drawings, measure it from the model. That's why we're not putting any dimensions on this sheet, which is a PDF, which is a view of a model, right? I can't do that because nobody else does that, <laughs> Right. So all of a sudden I'm outside of the standard of care. I can't do that. So we can't actually progress in so many ways. The agencies require these drawings the way that they think is. So we fudge all these drawings to make it look right. Right. But it's not based on the model. Again, there's so many disconnects here. And and we're talking about a future of practice where people might go into the office two days a week and they probably won't get mentored. I'm not trying to paint a grim right. picture here, but what I'm saying is like this is a big issue that the education system doesn't support, the licensing system doesn't support, our own businesses don't support. And and it's like uh, I feel like we're we're totally stuck. So like how do we get out of that? I want answers, damn it. I can't give them to you, man. I can't give them to you. And, and and really, like, we don't even want to think about it, right? Because we have stuff to do. 
Right. So I, I totally get that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm also sick of it, right? There's a huge opportunity for us to actually be the thing that we value, which is, you know, changing our communities for the better. And meanwhile, like, we're not actually, do, we're doing that on very small scales here and there, but not together as a profession because there's there's so much untapped business out there for architects so much like like i've seen the data we do one percent of the world's population of buildings the inventory of buildings architects have touched one percent who pays for those buildings the one percent guess what else is out there you know a metric crap ton of buildings right so ninety nine percent, yes, right, yeah. Uh, but we don't approach it like that. We continue to whittle away at a smaller and smaller percentage to compete against each other of that one percent for the one percent. Like I'll do it for less than you. No, I'll do it for less than you. Right. right. <laughs> right? Oh, really? So it truly is a race to the bottom. Yeah, because there are so many opportunities for us beyond that one percent that we just don't seem to want to just strive even, for. Yeah, it's 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 not inside the tunnel vision, right? It's it's in right. the periphery, it's way out there. It's Yeah, it's like it's like we've all agreed that these are the rules and we're going to all follow these rules and those rules are this construct that we've set up for ourselves over the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. This is how we practice architecture. Meanwhile, yeah. Google Facebook, SpaceX, I don't care who it is. They're saying the old rules do not apply. We are going to build a modern framework. It's it's one one of the examples that was brought up by by Nick Cameron at Perkins and Will was like talking about Revit, right? Everybody wants Revit to be better this, Revit to be better that. Um, you know, this open letter to Autodesk and you guys just aren't providing us with the features that we need and you're not fixing the stuff that's broken and He's like, think about it this way. He's like, it's a 22-year-old car. You keep trying to make it a brand new car. You want it to have all these bells and whistles. You want it to have this and that, the car play, the adaptive cruise control. Like, he didn't use all those words, but I'm I'm kind of speaking for him at this point. But it's like, you want it to have all this stuff. It's never going to have all that stuff. It is old code base. It's legacy code, right? So start over. You have to start over. And the whole time he's talking about that, I'm thinking... You know, because because there is a lot of everybody, everybody for the most part, and I'm I'm not speaking about the Revit nerds, but everybody hates to use Revit, right? Yep. It's not for for many reasons, lots of different reasons. Like there's definitely people, and I totally see what it, it's amazing what it can do, but it is 22 years old. Like it's older than any of my kids, and I see how much they've changed. Okay, now extrapolate that. This is what I'm thinking the whole time he's talking about this. Look at our profession. It's that times 10, times 100. I don't know what it is. It's times a lot. Right, right. It is not the same thing that it was when it was in its inception. It's just not. Our businesses aren't. Like more than 10 years ago, could you imagine having a computer this powerful in your pocket? You could not. (laughs) No way. And yet here it is. What's coming in the next 10 years? We have no freaking idea, right? I, I find it hard to respond only because I don't know if what 
we're saying you're saying right now is depressing or just a it's loaded with opportunity it's It's loaded with opportunity but i think a lot of people think it's depressing (laughs) well yeah it's it's or or it's just the reality check that we desperately need that for some reason people seem to be unwilling to partake in oh everybody's hoping somebody else is going to fix it Thank you. That was exactly what I was going to say. It's just like, Sorry, you know, they don't want, no, no, it was like, they don't want to be first. You know, they want to let somebody else struggle and try to get it done and all that other stuff and say, see, that's what I want to do right there. Okay. Well, oh, if that's no, what you want to do, see, do it. it's, it's actually, see, that's why I, I didn't want to do that because it failed. Because that's what yeah. it's going to take. It's actually going to take quite a bit of failure, I think. Oh, well, yeah. I, I don't well, want I mean, to just, go through that. I mean, think about like the tools that are out there right now that people seem very reluctant to adopt because they, you know, they don't want it to be first or there's some other issues. I mean, you know, think about like upcodes. I mean, how you can integrate upcodes into, you know, your project flow chart of like, you know, how you do things. And, you know, people are like, I don't want to do that. I mean, I don't want to get into either like some liability argument or this or that or whatever else. And you're just like, but those are the steps that we need to take to make our job easier so that we can as, as we've said you know countless times so that we can you know do the things that we are good at doing i mean mm-hmm. yeah there are people in our office that probably know the code you know better but it's so changing and stuff so you know why do we, why do i have to keep relearning the new code and all that other stuff you know why don't i just like okay here's how i would normally do a building and here's the code and you know now i've you know like running this program to to do a back check in this and it's going to start to highlight all the different areas that don't conform to the code and then i can start to look at you know it's like oh okay you know my assumption was is that the old code was like this now we're under 2018 and it's telling me that you know i can't do the things that they are i can increase my knowledge of like okay you know, here there's like a ton of crap that never really changes in the code. Mm-hmm. And then there's like those few things that are more like life safety or ADA that are more specific to like, you know, updating and, and stuff like that. And so other than, you know, like me stopping and going and, you know, taking courses to like, you know, learn all of the different changes and, you know, get the commentary to like learn all the changes and stuff, which willing to do, obviously, you know, I've, I've done it in the past and you know, continue to do it now, um, especially now that we're, you know, transitioning from 2015 to 2018 in most jurisdictions that we are now working with. But I mean, why, why, why do we have to like, so it's, it's that, you know, it's what you're saying is like the rethinking about the way that we're doing things. It's like, there doesn't seem to be one person that I can meet that can agree on a dimensioning convention. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so funny that you say something like that because it's like, how do we get our whole profession to pull in the same direction? And I'm like, how do I get my whole firm to use the same goddamn Revit template? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, we, you know, we've spent a lot of time, you know, developing a Revit, Revit template, but then we spent a whole lot of time with people internally centers. And yeah, I, I don't like the way that the, the new Revit template, you know, I don't, it, it doesn't do it the way that I like to do things. The way, I'm used, it it. Do yeah. the way that I'm used to doing things and stuff like that. And yeah. you're just like, well, then what's the point of making, you know, spending all of this time to do something to standardize the simple things so that we can spend more time in like, you know, design development, 
Or so that you could possibly work from a different state on this project that you haven't been a part of because you were on a different one before, and now you're using the same standards. Like, like, uh, it's it's incredible to me how many people don't just take a step back and think beyond themselves. It's not about you, dude. Like, (laughs) right? Exactly. (laughs) Oh man. So yeah, I mean, on one level, it is depressing, right? And on on another level, like. The it's, future it's is definitely. there for those who are willing to get their hands dirty and design right. it so right. that it's not just so that we don't get disrupted. Like, who's the Uber of architecture? There's a lot of them. I'll tell you that right now. And they're all, they want all your business, all of it. What right. are you going to do about that? That to me is like fire to go do something later. about it. Yeah, we'll be the late adopters. I'll, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, hell, I mean, how many times have you like pointed out that? architects on all of these different like when you talk about google and you talk about uber and you talk about like like spacex and all these other people who are willing to come in and take our business from us and innovate and lead and it will leave us behind and you know we will just be sitting there twiddling our thumbs like what just happened yeah well you didn't see it coming well that's exactly what disruption is people read the book clayton christensen right it's it's it is Companies that fly under the radar, who their customers are not your customers, but eventually they get so, they have so many of not your customers that they become the default. That's how mm-hmm. it works. And you don't see it coming because you're so comfy in your lazy boy doing the thing that you've always done, right? It's yep. like there was a tweet yep. that I, I, was, I think I read it last night or this morning. But Elon Musk says, one day, and this is, I think he was tweeting for SpaceX saying, we will create a home HVAC system that is full HEPA. And it's like, yeah, duh, we're in California. Look at the air quality. It's freaking disaster. Why doesn't this exist? And there's a guy right, right there who says, yep, we're going to do that. And maybe they are and maybe they aren't, but he just put that idea out there like, why hasn't somebody and, done and this? You know what? He's pointing he's, out the obvious. He's pointing out the obvious. And, you know, even if he doesn't do it, which for some reason he... I, feel like he probably will but even if he doesn't do it he's just scared people who are like oh shit they're not gonna gonna try to come and steal our yes our business yeah train so and carrier and all those companies are like exactly. Whoa. So, <laughs> exactly so it's just like well maybe we should get our shit together and instead yeah. of just you know giving you what you want now we are giving you something that you don't know that you want later yeah you just puckered their buttholes for sure <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know what? If he's going to do that, then he's going to scare the shit out of the, you know, the mechanical engineering world or scare the shit out of the architectural world or, you know, the manufacturing world. Well, then good for him. Yeah. Spur it. Bring it on. Right. I, yeah, I agree. Like, like get people out of their lazy boy. That's one way to do it because he's proven it over and over again that they can. Right. Or at least he'll design it and just open source the ideas and say, somebody else do this. I don't have time. But here's all the design ideas. Like, make it happen. Like he did with Hyperloop. Like, but no. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's depressing. I don't know if this is opportunity. Well, it's, no, a, it's a little big so. of everything, but it's what we need to get out of the comfort zone. Well, the thing about it is, is that when you lay it all out and it's just like, you know, there for you to see, it's depressing to see that all of this is there. But then it is really the people who are willing to take advantage of the opportunity and rather than calling it rather than sitting there and say oh man this is depressing and there's nothing i can do about it 
you know, seeing the opportunity and being able to, you know, grab a hold of it and a piece of it. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people get kind of scared because the idea or the design problem is so large, but you don't have to take on the whole thing, right? Like, like Musk's tweeted, we're going to do an HVAC system with, for houses with, with HIPAA. Okay. That's not taking on the whole problem of indoor air quality, but it's a damn good start. It's a great piece to do. It's a big enough problem that's worth solving, right? It has meaning. Right, right. It's going to affect people's lives for the better. So well, that's yeah, I, that's totally what firms could do. They could just say, we're going to do this piece. Yeah. And this piece is a part of a larger puzzle, and it all matters. It all has value, but we're going to do this piece, and we're going to do it incredibly well. Well, back to the example of upcodes. I mean, you know, probably, I know we've talked to him, and I don't really remember the the, the story, but... You know, he was probably an intern who was sitting in an office and they said, you know, hey, we want you to do this code research. And he's flipping through books and, you know, clicking on, you know, websites and asking questions and all this other stuff and probably sitting there saying to himself, there's got to be a better way to do this. And you know what? Instead of sitting there saying, well, I'll wait for somebody else to come up with that better way to do it. He did. Yeah, just because he needed to do it for himself to, for his own sanity. Right. right? Like, yeah, right. I'm exactly. sure. I mean, it's the same thing with Clifton at TestFit. He was... I don't know if anybody has, has seen TestFit, but TestFit.io, um, we've talked about it on the show before. And right. and it's like, yeah, he was asked to continually draw site plans for uh, proformas for developer housing. And it was like he, he automated his own work, showed it to his boss and got fired because it was too fast. Right. And now he has a company wow. that just raised money and... He's hired employees, and he's like, like you've got to be kidding me that that happened. Like, that's what it took to create this innovation is getting fired. Let's fire more people. <laughs> right. But man, like, exa- I'm sure it's probably a similar story for Upcodes. You're probably right. Yeah. Well, but it's just I mean, scratching it's your own itch, right? It's doing this thing exactly. that you don't want to do over and over and over again so that you can spend more time doing the thing that you want to do. Like, who wants to sit and, like, like let's use TestFit as an example. I mean, if if you've got to go through all these different iterations, um, housing or whatever else, and you know, you've got to go through like all these different iterations, why not say, okay, this is what I know I need, you know, for this site, and what can I do to like you know quickly generate things through? Because, I mean, planning projects make money, but not a lot of money. It's the actual architectural project and building the damn thing, yeah. and you know doing all of that so you want to get from point a to point b to start like you know getting the you know the 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 larger fees and stuff and so you know why spend time sitting around doing that when you can do it a lot quicker well and 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 for the purpose of for the purpose of making decisions that move things forward exactly and just because it's quicker doesn't mean it's not thoughtful yeah yeah absolutely you know it's just like oh you know you're just you're you've got to be not thinking about something it's like no it's allowing you to think about a lot of different iterations. So say you take that and you use that and you, in your version of things, you can be spend, I don't know, 10 hours. Let's just say 10 hours, but you can only come up with 10 different ideas. Well, okay. So if you took that 10 hours and you came up with a thousand ideas, <laughs> you know, using something else and guess what? You've pretty much exhausted all of the different possibilities there, but you've looked at things far beyond your normal capabilities of doing things yeah so there was a there was a youtube uh like 
live get together back a while ago, earlier this year, I guess, maybe, I don't even know. It was a long time ago in COVID times um, where Clifton had invited people to come on and do like guest commentary while he drew a site plan with units and did like all the calcs and stuff in an Excel file of, of the pro forma. So he, and he knows this stuff inside and out and he's, he may not be practiced in AutoCAD, but I was pretty amazed how fast he could actually draw all this stuff in AutoCAD. And he did, he drew it while we were just BSing and talking. And, um, I wasn't the only one. There was lots of other people who joined in this conversation. There was kind of time slots as he went through this and people jumped on and people jumped off and it was fun. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's called man versus machine. And so he, he drew this plan, like had a site um, that that he picked to draw and said like, okay, there's this many units, it's got to be, you know, this many floors, it's got to have this much parking, like it's, you know, he has a spreadsheet that's helping him figure a lot of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like three hours that it took him to draw that one. He goes, okay, now we're going to do it in test fit. And granted, like, again, he knows test fit. He made the goddamn thing. So how long do you think it took to do the exact same thing in test fit? With all the logic, like it, that's the thing, like I don't think people understand is all the logic is built in, right? So I'm not using that word lightly. I'm not saying like one, like the computer is going off the rules a human told it. So that's the logic. Right. How long do you think it took to generate? Uh, from, from scratch, from scratch, entering the data in. To generating a scheme, it took 45 seconds. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And it's like, is it done? No. Is it a starting point? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to, to say that. But there's like, again, like the, the blinders in our community are pretty thick. Well, it's just like, well, how can this, you know, do what I do? Well, because I'll show you exactly how. Exactly. Yeah, people don't want to hear that, though. Yeah, you're taking my job. Yes, the machines, the robots no, are not. coming to take our jobs. Exactly. You're you're offering a tool to make your job better, easier, quicker, more valuable, so that you can constant exactly, and probably providing you with far more data than you've ever actually provided before. Oh, and it and it places the firewalls and the stairwells and the elevator cores and all the stuff right because again it's all logic like it's all based on actual rules so you didn't even have to think about that so yeah i mean and that's just one example they're like upcodes is is doing a similar thing a huge fan of what they're doing because it's encoded logic so that you can think about the stuff where it really matters how an architect interprets the code because it'll flag it and you'll say yep and here's why Here's why. Here's how I'm getting around that, which is what architects do all the time on projects, right? Um, and but it also helps you build your argument for when you do agency review, right? Because you know right. you're going to need right. to address that because somebody else is going to raise the same flag, but you're ready for it. It's things like that I think are incredibly empowering to individuals to own their projects more because they know why they decided what they did because it's based on data. It's not just based on an opinion, an aesthetic, a preference, things like that. It's actually based on data at that point so that the stuff that really matters is backed up by a solid argument. That's in- incredibly empowering, I think. Right. 
I wish our profession would embrace that kind of thing so that we can move into this future that is not going to be like the past um, in a much bigger scale and a much deeper level. Um, but that, we seem very challenged in that way. So how, who's ready? Who wants to roll up their sleeves and take that on? I mean, I know that there's committees in the AIA. Um, I, I haven't participated in them, but I, I, I mean, cause I'm doing this at the firm level, but who's doing this at the, at the national level? Who's doing like, or what other avenues are there? That's what I want to know. So maybe people tweet at us or something. Tell us. It'd be it'd be great to kind of share those stories, um, if they're out there, because I I think that that would be really helpful. Hopeful or helpful? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because I want to be hopeful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I want to attract people to this profession. It's an amazing profession. I want people to want to be here. I want people to want to take on these problems. I think it matters. Uh, I think a lot of people think it matters. Uh, and so we got to give people reasons to want to do that. I mean, how many people are leaving our profession for the tech profession? Uh, because they're working on interesting problems. Like they're trying to solve things. There's a lot of other reasons, right? But I, I like to think that people are leaving to work on interesting problems and not make the next crappy app for a phone right but do something that really makes a difference and those things like the things we're talking about here with like upcodes and test fit like how many naysayers have they heard but continued to work anyway i think hopefully that's just fuel for the fire that they'll prove people wrong but yeah like you run up against those kind of uh, roadblocks all the time does that stop does that stop you i hope not i hope that that people continue to be challenged by these design problems and realize that this is an evolution that needs to happen so that it will, because it, it's only going to take, it takes that perseverance to make it through that. I mean, I can't even imagine what's with like Clifton's example with test fit, how much fuel that guy added to his fire when he got fired for doing something useful. Right. <laughs> um, right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we need to see a lot of in our profession. So anyway, good stuff, man. I, I feel like, uh, like I would love to hear from people, not that many people are um interacting with us <laughs> after these episodes, but man there's a there's so much here. I would love to hear people tweet at us or comment on the website about things that they see happening and not not I don't want anybody to pile on to the the negativity. I hope it's more construed as like opportunity than negativity because it's right. out there um like, what are the opportunities and what are we seeing happening in our industry to make things better? There's lots of great tools, but like at the policy level, at the it, all pulling in the same direction, the leadership level, uh, I would love to hear more about what's happening so that like, we can help get the message out so that people do know that that's going on and, and maybe become a part of that. To me, that would be uh, like the most useful thing that could come out of this discussion is just to help spread the word that that's happening. What are the, the different instances of that? Let's hear them. I think we can call it quits here. <laughs> okay. We totally can. All right, man. All right. Well, Talk to you next time. Thanks for the time. Yeah. See you later. All right. That might be all for this episode, but maybe listen to the end just in case. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-E. 
M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.
I just downloaded a new app for um, that helps me uh, locate. What is it called? New one. Um, atmospheric conditions. Why would no, you want that? Atmospheric. I believe so that I can figure out where cloud coverage is going to be and where it's not going to be. And I use, you know, in between that and using the dark sites um, website, mm-hmm. which I kind of kind of wish they had a uh, an app, but I get it. Anyway, um, I can go and track down the darkest areas. And then I also got another app called Sky Live. And this one is really for stargazing. Yeah. And it gives you basically a percentage of like, so like in this particular case, I'm looking at the, it has a 60% stargazing conditions for the area. And so, you know, we're talking about Bethesda in this particular case, 60% tells me when the uh, sunset is, tells me what percentage of visible light will be coming from the moon. <clears throat> tells me what, um, where the planets are uh, visible, or at least like tells me what planets I'm going to see. I'll see Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. <clears throat> Excuse me. He tells me when they rise and when they set. Wow. And then it also gives me um, their kind of like their paths. Yeah. And so, all this is on your phone? Yep. That's cool. And I use that, and I use, so I use, <clears throat> now I use three different apps. <laughs> because what? Yeah. They don't have all the features in one. Well, so I use Skyview is my go-to for, like, what celestial bodies are, like, actually visible. You know, like, I can hold the, I hold the phone up. Yeah. And I point it at. Like an like, AR kind of a thing. Yeah, totally. Totally. And so, like. Right now, I can hold it up, and just below the horizon in a north-northwesterly view is Mars, and just almost immediately above it, um, just a hair above horizon, is Uranus. No, it is not. (laughs) I mean, it depends which direction you're. Maybe, maybe if you are looking west. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. A child. Uh. You know, the second that I said it, I'm like, before I said it, I knew I was just like playing in my mind how it was going to play out, and it pretty much went exactly the way I expected. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to say Uranus. Oh man. I downloaded it, I updated and whatever, uh, upgraded my Skywalk app. Starwalk, oh, yeah. Starwalk, sorry. Starwalk, yeah. And I uh, <laughs> did not use it one time. Uh, three weeks on the road, didn't use it once. Wow. Did it, you? I, I did get out the very first night. So we drove, um, we drove to Zion the first day, and that night... We couldn't go up to Canyon. Now they've got it set up so that you actually have to reserve a space on the visitor kind of shuttle bus uh, the day before. And it was already, it was too late to do that. Um, Sure. By the time I found out that that was even possible. So um, 
which sucks for a lot of people who are just going to go visit the park who don't know about that, who just don't go to their website and look and see what the restrictions are. But that I, that definitely happened to some people. They're just like walking up this kind of normal looking desert area and they're like, is this it? It's like, oh, you didn't get tickets to go on the shuttle bus because the shuttle bus mm-hmm. takes you to where like it. So you're you're not allowed to drive through. Nope. The... Can't. Well, so so let me take that back. You can drive through, but you can't go up the canyon. So like Zion's kind of uh, weird like yeah, that, yeah. right? Because if you drive through, you can get up to like the tunnel views and stuff, which is still awesome. But it's not like the main canyon where no. Angel's yeah. Landing and Temple of Sinawava and all that kind of stuff is. So um, anyway, we, we got up there that, that kind of early afternoon and and got set up. And then we... We drove up to where a lot of people don't go when they visit Zion, which I've only been to, I guess, just once or twice before, is up at, to the top, which is called Kolob Mesa or Kolob Terraces. And it's it's the very, like, you know, it's the upper part of Zion. So Zion's a canyon, kind of like Yosemite, where it's like all of the earth around it is higher than you. So you, you drive up to there, and that's where a lot of hiking trails start, and it's it's this beautiful kind of high desert that is full of aspen groves and there's a big reservoir up there and stuff like that that most people never even go up to look at so um you go up there and i was like let's i wanted to take the family up there but it was like getting dark so we're driving up there in the dark you cannot see a thing right it was it was perfect timing as far as like stargazing goes because there was no it was a new moon right so um We got up to the top and it's like, you know, nobody can see anything. I'm I'm like trying to, okay, now this part's really beautiful during the day. Like everything is couched by, you know, during the, <laughs> during the daytime or, or during the fall when all these leaves turn and we're driving through this kind of Aspen forest and all you can see it in is the headlights. Um, so we got all the way up to this dirt road, go way back around this reservoir and just park the car and get out the camera and the tripod. And I took a bunch of pictures um it was it was amazing i mean the milky way was just like on full display and uh i still haven't looked at those pictures (laughs) (laughs) i have not transferred them to the computer to look at them Uh, i just hope i got something good so it's kind of like i it was funny because the whole trip i treated my big camera my my good camera in air quotes uh as film and I shot a bunch of pictures, and now uh, they're just sitting on that memory card, waiting to be developed. And I haven't looked at them yet, so hmm. uh, I hope to get to that soon because that well, would be awesome. You can make it to the dark room. Yeah. yeah, I gotta, I gotta. Well, I gotta finish building the dark room. That's actually <laughs> what I've been working on, uh, so that I can, yeah, get the enlarger out and stuff like that. You know, I mean, <clears throat> so many. T- I mean, when we were at Auburn when we were getting rid of some of our enlargers um the uh guy who like was in charge of all of it you know I worked for him he's like you know all we're gonna do is just throw these away you sure you don't want one I'm like nah nah I really don't have a place for it and stuff and so many times I think back to (laughs) the hoarder the hoarder in you cries out now (laughs) you know because it I mean it it is still there. I mean, people are still shooting film. Um, I follow a few people on Instagram who they shoot exclusively film and then they, you know, digitize it and, and post it. And it, it's just, there's, 
there is a still to this day it's it's kind of like i liken shooting film to listening to vinyl mm. you know my my son's There's, been doing it a lot <laughs> i know I, I you know and I, I don't know if what he's posting on his instagram is film no it's not yet because digital. i asked him that too i was like is so is which what'd you take this one with and he's like, oh, this is with the Sony. He's like, I have the same shot on film, but I haven't sent it in yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, and I will say, let me just throw a little shout out to him. He's He's got a great eye. Um, I agree. You I, know? Don't, I don't know where he got it, man. It's awesome. Like I said before, he I mean, doesn't he doesn't ask me for help. It's, it's It's just osmosis. He sees you doing it. And you know what? It's not like he's going to say, hey, dad, show me how to do this. He's it's just going to be it was, it was in you, you know, and like I, I never asked my dad. I mean, my dad was a prolific Same. You know, photographer yeah. and yeah. I never really asked my dad. I just I, I saw what he was doing. Did I tell you that uh, um, our bike got stolen from? Yes. Our yeah, you did. And uh, <clears throat> so I was looking around to, you know, like looking on um, like facebook uh, marketplace and just anywhere that i could find like a decent one for for cheap and yeah. uh, of course everybody is you know it's just like i've got a you know 12 year old gary fisher i'm like well i had a 12 year old gary fisher and <laughs> i you know and i know how much i paid for it and i also know that for some reason there is no way in the world that i would be paying list price for a 12 year old bike for nostalgia's sake, that's why. Exactly. Jeez. And for some reason, people are trying to still, you know, like, but it's a Carrie Fisher. I'm like, yeah, but it's, you know, you, you're asking list for something that is over a decade old that you have ridden the, you know, the tires off of. I've got a 25-year-old Cannondale. <clears throat> if you. I, you know, I mean, I'll be out, I'll be over in a second. <laughs> yeah, you pick up, pick up only. <laughs> <laughs> so so we did through FreeCycle get um somebody was getting rid of two um two bikes and they were Peugeots. And I'm like, oh Peugeots, you know. Oh, that's great. French. And so we go, we pick them up and they are old. Mm -hmm. Like old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was one of the ones, so it was one of the step over ones mm -hmm. um that the crossbar was like two, two, uh, pipes. Yeah. I've got a Suteki like that's like 40 years old. It's freaking awesome. And it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> it is so heavy. I was just like, God, I've been so well, spoiled. By, think, like, of, you know, think of it this way. Five stars in a crash test. Don't think of it as heavy. Well, yeah. And, uh, Magdalena refuses to run it. <laughs> She's like, it's harder it's than walking. Antique. Yeah, she's just like every. She goes, it takes forever to to pedal the thing. That's awesome. Like, I mean, I gave it a good once over, you know, oiled it, you know, um, tightened everything up, made sure everything was aligned and straight, and adjusted the brakes, and you know, kind of like, um, there there was a little bit of a, uh, like rubber, you know, like glazing or whatever on the brakes themselves, so kind of sanded those down a little bit to get more grip back to oh them. yeah gotta do and that. everything everything was everything's good on the thing it's just <laughs> she's like uh do you know how like she's like a she didn't say the second part but the first part was is that it's it's really hard to pedal because it's so heavy 
that's what she said. But I'm feeling in my mind, she's like, you want me to really be seen on this thing? That's awesome. <laughs> she won't even be seen on it. She didn't say that to her credit, but I I feel like as a soon to be 13 year old, she's probably thinking to herself, you know, geez, dude, what the hell, why are you doing this to me? Everybody goes through that. Yeah, you know. I don't want to be seen in the car with you, Dad. I don't want you to drop me off, Dad. I don't want... (laughs) I don't want to be seen on a four-decade-old bike, Dad. (laughs) And then someday she'll be like, why did you ever get rid of that bike? I wanted that. Oh, I'm not. I actually... So, like, we have... So, we, um, we have an old Bianchi and two old Peugeots. One is a kind of like a a hybrid and two are road bikes and all of them have got great components. Sure. They're old school of components, but they're still all great components. In fact, well-made components. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start to scalp them together. I've got a, uh, a new bike idea in mind. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's fun. Making the Frankensteins. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I told them, I'm like, dude, this is what we did as kids. Totally. I mean, you know, That's what I'm doing right now. I'm I'm totally like finding different parts and putting things together, and you know, like it's amazing how much cycling has taken off during this time. Like, it's actually, uh, yeah. in some bike stores, it's really hard to get anything. But um, you know, online Craigslist, offer up eBay, you can find lots of good stuff. So I was, I'm think the the bike that I have in my head um, is I, I kind of want to do. Um, I'm going to use the Bianchi frame and, you know, basically the, the, um, most of the components off of that, you know, the tires and everything else, and then pull some of the components off of one of the Peugeots. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I want to kind of convert it to making, you know, having the aesthetic of like one of the, uh, World War II messenger bikes. Oh, that'd be sweet. So it's going to be like army green. And, um, you know, it's going to be like, you know, kind of like blacked out components and, you know, saddlebags and all that other stuff. And it's going to be mine. Nice. Get out there and ride. Man, on our trip, we, Marlon and I rode so much. I mean, the whole family rode quite a few times together, but we, we were like getting dropped off at the tops of mountains and riding down. It was, it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So let me, let me just paint a picture of what we've come back to. Because every time I come back from a trip, <laughs> it's like, why do I live here? And this time, I mean, this is actually not too different than a couple of the previous times, but not that that's a, that's a really bad thing is that like the entire freaking state is on fire. Mm-hmm. And, and just to give you an idea of, you know, that first night I talked about and being able to see the stars. Two days later, for about two weeks, all we saw was smoke on our trip in the air from California, in Wyoming, and in Montana, and in Idaho, and it was just all blown over that way. And it was crazy, because we're like in the Grand Tetons, right? We're in Yellowstone, and I was like, where's the fire around here? They're like, oh, there's a small one by uh, Jenny Lake, which is like Grand Teton area, and... 
And I'm like, is that is it really that big? Like, there's this much smoke? They are. Oh no, that's all from California. That just blew in. It's like it followed us. And and it's amazing how much that changes your perception of a place, right? Is like that environment that the air quality, all that stuff. You're just like, oh, I like. You just don't get that feeling about the place. It's amazing how much it changes your attitude about it. Like because it's like that first impression, right? And and you see that and. It's it's kind of like if you go somewhere and it's perfect and you're like I want to live here, right? And people are like, "Oh, it's like this like 3 days a year," right? <laughs> Every the rest of the year it's like gloomy and people are depressed and but you saw it on that one that instance and you're like, "This is how it is." And it's just not. I mean, it's the same thing with the fire but in reverse, right? So um now that we're back it has been raining ash every day. Air quality's terrible. Don't go outside. Um like the other night, we had our windows open a little bit with the house fan on to just cool it off because it's been hot, too. And it smelled like a burning tire in the house because there is a giant 0% containment fire just west of here, right? So it looks like Star Wars sun, right? When, when you know, Luke is out on the, what's the mm-hmm. name, Tatooine, right? And it's just yeah. like that red sun that's setting in the sky, like suns right but the one and it looks like that i mean it's just like through the smoke the sun can't even fully penetrate it it looks like a cloudy day but it's all smoke and it's just insane how much the state is like going through this devastating thing and it's just like oh this what what the f else is going to happen this year i you pull up the cal fire map i downloaded this cal fire map on my ipad and it's just like blames the entire length of the state and up into Oregon and up into Washington. Like I was talking to a Sharice and she's up in like Portland area. Right. And she's just like, it's freaking terrible here. Right. (laughs) It's just, my cars are all covered in ash. The ground is all, you walk outside barefoot, you come back in the bottom of your feet are black. It's ridiculous. Sucks. Yeah. Totally sucks. And, you know, I mean, and I, you know, I've, I've seen photographs and, you know, imagery, you know, plastered all over the place and, you know, and everybody liking it to like the scene from the new Blade Runner and, and it just, and it's. Oh, it's, the San Francisco being orange. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, um, and then right now I'm currently reading an LA Times article talking about the air quality for your weekend, which <laughs> yeah. is not which is not going to be good. Don't go outside. Yeah, basically, yeah, exactly. stay inside. This is like, a, <clears throat> yeah, it's just like another pandemic of a different kind. Gosh, and then you know, on top of that, you know, you, you have um, the pandemic, and you have everything, every other dumpster fire going on in this. You know, twenty twenty is yeah. If, you know, we talked about the Vision 2020, this is not what we had in mind. Nope. This is not what we had in mind. But, you know, I mean, maybe this is the precursor to the post-apocalyptic worlds that we keep um, making movies about. Right. Oh, God. I, uh, yeah. So, while you've been doing that, I've been trying to uh, sneak off to West Virginia where um no they don't uh seem to 
care about face masks or things like that. But, you know, I guess they've, um, as a, I was talking to somebody who happened to be from West Virginia and he was just like, uh, you know, West Virginia, we've been social distancing since 1863. <laughs> yeah. It's just built in. And it's, uh, it's true. I mean, I mean, we, you know, we went out there and we really, you didn't have, I mean, you don't have to try to social distance. It's just. Yeah. That's like Montana too. Totally. Um, but discovered some pretty cool areas. Um, out and you're there. out, you're out hunting for like stars locations or you're just out looking for yeah. hikes or both. Uh, both, above. yeah, both. We uh, we found a found a place that um, just you know one of the wonderful things about Instagram are is you know when you follow like astrophotographers or just landscape photographers or things like that, <laughs> you find a lot of cool <laughs> spots. You yeah. find a lot of really cool spots. You're like, oh, you know, and I looked, I was looking them up. I'm like, holy crap, that's like two and a half hour drive away from us. Why not spend the day out there? Yeah, and we do. And, um, there was this place called Dolly Sods, which is in the, um, Bear Rocks, uh, National Preserve. It's basically up on the, um, the ridge lines of the Appalachians that cut through West Virginia, just absolute beautiful scenery. And, um, you're, you know, in, in some cases you're above the cloud cover, um, or just kind of like, you know right there and it's nice and clear and crisp and it's fantastic that's awesome so and and you guys also went to the uh headless horseman uh <laughs> yes you gotta uh, you yeah. gotta talk about your event what what, what happened there oh oh yeah so it's been that long since we've talked yeah it, it has been that long um so uh you know we have these weird little like what do you want to do today? Like, I don't know. You want to just go for a drive? Sure. Um, which direction? Um, I don't know. West, North, East, South. Great thing about this area. And like I've said probably countless times is that, you know, yes, there's a lot of great history and like great things to see, you know, Maryland, uh, nature is, is fantastic, but, there's also the just ability to get in the car and kind of like drive to like, you know, Philadelphia or, or, you know, hell, New York is three and a half hour drive away and, and all this other stuff. And so, I mean, they're, they're not, I mean, everyone's driving it, out of New York, not into it. Oh, you mean, yeah, not the city though. <laughs> not the city though. So we, um, so anyway, so we decided, um, a couple weekends ago that we were going to, um, take a drive to um, Sleepy Hollow, uh, Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow area. Um, we had just the day before we were watching um, the Tim Burton uh, Sleepy Hollow. And yes, it does not follow the story um, that Washington Irving wrote at all, other than the character names. Um, but other than that, uh, it is like nowhere near it because we downloaded the audiobook of um, Sleepy Hollow, and uh, I think it was told by one of the like amazing like horror uh, narrators. And so we were listening to that, and 
the one thing that I would say is that the Disney, um, the, the Disney one has it pretty close to being right. Nice. I mean, sure, it's Disney, but it like even the 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 caricature of um, of Ichabod Crane is very much um, like uh, like how they depicted in the uh, in the movie in the uh, cartoon that like we I don't know if you know you, you know and love, but I know and love. Yeah. Uh, so so we decided, hey, let's go there, and of course. It's not, you know, like a lot of this stuff is not open, but, you know, there are, you know, a few things open. And so we were kind of visiting, um, we visited, you know, a couple of different, like very, you know, kind of historic um, sites. And one in particular that we went to was the Sleepy Hollow um, Cemetery where Washington Irving um, was buried. And what was interesting about that one is as we we're like walking through and we're looking at like the dates of, you know, some of the places that are, that people are buried there. Um, we went and we visited, you know, Washington Irving's grave, but as we're walking around, um, which, you know, for probably one of the, I would say that he was like the first American author to, you know, one gain popularity as, as an author. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's got such a nondescript, you know, like, you know, headstone. It's 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 in the family plot. It's in the Irving family plot. Um, and I'll, I'll I, I never uploaded these to any social media or anything, but I can throw them in the show notes. Uh, some of the photos that I took, but it was it was interesting that. So, like, if you know the story of Sleepy Hollow, you know, they talk about the Van Tassels, they talk about Bomb Crane, you know, they talk about all these different, you know, families and stuff. And sure enough, as you were walking through the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, all of those names from the story, because that's where he was from, all of the names from the story are there. You know, we we talk, we walk past the family uh, gravesite of the Van Tassels, you know, and, and all of these and, you know... Um, it, it it's just kind of it was really interesting it was like hey hey look you know we went by the cranes and we went by the you know it was just it was really kind of cool to see that so as we are and this is where you want the story to go so um as, as we're you know kind of wrapping up it's like you know it's you know long you know long drive back you know hey let's uh let's go find some ice cream and let's you know walk out of here but as we're walking through the um the the cemetery my daughter you know kept saying you know she's she's a strange one um she's always been very interested in you know the dead and the afterlife and all of this other stuff at age 12 and loves listening to monster stories and horror stories and stuff like that and um and so she kept sitting there saying you know don't walk on graves you know um you don't want any uh any of the ghosts who, um, you know, kind of attach themselves to you. And, you know, I, I don't remember actually walking on any graves. You know, I <laughs> kind of seem to have some respect for them. Um, but she was just like, you better be careful. And so we were, you know, we had just walked past um, on our way out. We just, you know, kind of like made sure that we were going to go past uh, Washington Irving's grave again. We've just walked past that. And there was a series, you know, little, little, um, narrow, uh, stone stairs. And 
as we were going down, I was kind of like looking off to the side as I was like walking down the steps and I attributed to one thing clumsiness, but I, I will say this, that I swear to you, I felt like I was pushed and my wife and daughter were not, you know, next to me. They were, you know, kind of several feet behind me and they saw me fall down the stairs and kind of turn. She said that I kind of turned sideways as I fell, um, like as if somebody might have pushed me. And so I fell down these stone steps um, with my camera, my, you know, wonderful, beautiful, mm-hmm. big camera in hand. Apparently, I had the wherewithal to save it. Yes, but not I yourself. I was holding it up as I was falling down, but not myself. Yeah. I, sp- I sprained both of my ankles and busted open my knee and you know it still kind of like split a little bit two weeks later and like even like left a little blood patch on the uh um on the ground and as I w- got up and of course you know I'm like you know in pain uh I hit you know like I rolled and you know smashed down pretty hard um and I get up and my left ankle was not that bad, but my right ankle was like already starting to swell up. So, of course, I was like, all right, we're done, <laughs> which was a really terrible drive back because I was the one driving. And, you know, it's my right ankle. And what do you use to drive your right ankle? Um, and God, it was painful. cruise control. You use cruise control. I well, once we got out of the city, I, you know, and got onto the uh, Jersey Turnpike, I, I definitely did that. But. Um, you know, I, I like look down and I see like this little, you know, small blood stain on the ground. I was like, well, I look back at my daughter. I'm like, well, I guess the, uh, um, the spirits wanted blood and they got it. Oh man. She goes, <laughs> and then she looked at me, she goes, I told you, damn you little girl. <laughs> I was like, come on. I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm not necessary. I, I love ghost stories and stuff, but I'm not like a believer of ghosts or anything, but, uh, you know, it was, um, I, 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 I swear I felt a little push, <laughs> you know, but I will say this, that in, 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 in my mind, um, the, the stairs were narrow. They weren't, they did not meet code. The, um, treads were not, <laughs> they, the treads were not 11 inches. And I will say this, that the one thing that kind of sucks about having a size 14 foot is normally stairs kind of like, you know, going downstairs. The stairs pushed you. Yes. That's I it. think, clum- I think clumsiness pushed me is to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, but you know, it, it does make for a good story that, <laughs> Uh, she was, she just looked, I mean, literally like I looked back at her and she was just like, mm-hmm, I told you I'm like ah, little girl. Yeah. All right. And then I looked at, you know, my wife, I'm like, all right, I need some ice cream. <laughs> but I will say this, that the Hudson river Valley, oh, it's so beautiful out there. Um, you know, I guess that was where I, I think that, you know, like around there is where Mark uh, LePage used to live and um you know i understand you know I get oh it. i he think he used to walk stuff. walk along there every day oh, yeah wow that was just is absolutely just a gorgeous place to be um 
I mean, just that's where think. the empire was built, man, is by being inspired yeah. by that. <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of like Rockefellers. I even um, drove past a McKeel Road and I immediately thought of our uh, dear friend, America. Mm. I was like, wait, you know, she's from around this area. And uh, so it was kind of cool. Um, I mean, it the the area is beautiful. I mean, once you get once you get out of like the city, um, it is it is impressive as hell. The you know the natural area, the way that people decided to like you know build um, in the area is just it's fantastic. I mean, it's not an area that I know well. I mean, we've we've driven past, driven through, or driven past a few times, but. It's definitely an area that I'd like to, you know, go back a few more times. But this time I'm going to be, you know, carrying like my little uh, anti-hex kind of necklaces and charms and stuff like that. <laughs> Some incense. <clears throat> All your charms. Yeah. Dude. I'll I'll uh, go visit a, a shaman and do a little uh, sage. Sage um, burning. Yes. Do it. Or just not go back to that... Uh, um, yeah, you don't need to. You've been there now. Yeah, I've seen it. You haven't convinced me that I need to go, so. Apparently, they were not a big fan of me. Although I did get some pretty cool pictures. Maybe that was it. I stole their souls. Yes, you did. <sighs> so, tell me, so tell me about, like, your trip. I mean, I, I, I mean, so you, like, were hitting, as we talked about in the last one, you were hitting all of the or at least a good, big, solid handful of all of the states that I've never been to. Yeah, so we, <clears throat> it was, yeah, first of all, I mean, it was just amazing. We we actually, I think it was seven states, like I said before. I, I had the opportunity to go into Oregon, but I decided not to take that because we really wanted to kind of come back down through Idaho and, and see Twin Falls and like this, mm-hmm. this, they call it like the Little Niagara. It's a, this, area called Shoshone Falls, or I think they call it Shoshone Falls. Um, And it's, it was pretty cool, but that was like later on in the trip. So when we started off, like I said, we went to through Zion, we hiked the Narrows, um, we got farther than we've ever gotten. And and it was funny because Jesse's, she's like, it's kind of cool that the kids are getting older, like we can go farther, right? So (laughs) that was pretty cool because we, we went probably five miles up the canyon uh, and, you know, you're hiking through water the whole time over these slippery rocks and you just get better and better. And pretty soon you're just like jamming. And uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty cool uh, to get all the way up there. And basically we got up to this part where the canyon actually splits. And then there's like the the Virgin River, like where the Narrows continues on up through the, to the north. And then it kind of splits off to the east. And that's called Ordervale Canyon, which I've come down canyoneering before which was like, it's funny, my friend John, he, he's like, that That was called the suffering. That was the day that that I lost my two, two big toenails, and it was uh, it was brutal. But um, a little weird to get back to that spot and just be like able to point at it and be like, yeah, we came, like we're half, we're not even, we're a third of the way that we came down that day. And and it's like, how hard was it just, just to get to that spot? And, and uh so it was, but it was just gorgeous. The water was clear. You know, not every time you go to Zion, the water's clear. It's like, um, right. It, because of flash floods, if you go in the spring, like the water's usually really silty and you can't see through it at all. So 
um, just just absolutely fantastic. Um, and the smoke hadn't blown in yet at that at that point, so it was it was perfect out still. Um, so I got a ton a ton of amazing photos from there, um, which I I have to. I, one thing is I, I should preface this and say I didn't share any photos from my trip during my trip at all. Uh, I was taking like a a break, and uh, I didn't. I just didn't feel like compelled to do it. But man, I got a lot of good ones. So just so you guys all know, I got a lot of good photos that you may never see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after Zion, um, we actually drove up uh, when we were leaving from there through Kolob Terrace, which I talked about earlier but we did it during the daytime and that's when everybody was like oh my god it's amazing you know it's beautiful oh this is what we couldn't see last night um and we took this it's not a shortcut but it was a long cut to um cedar city through over a dirt road so driving the car with all the bikes hanging off the back and the box on the top across this i don't know 30 miles of dirt road just total dusty silt man the bike's were punished by that because they're hanging off the back of the car and just like in the vortex of dust and um got up to cedar city saw a really cool um art museum and i was like oh what's that it's called uh southern utah museum of art and it was very architectural if you look it up maybe i'll put a link to it um but that was um i gotta look it up real quick because I feel stupid at the moment because it's just slipping my mind, but it was, um, Oh, wow. I am looking at it now. Yeah. It's, a. Uh, I have a couple cool pictures of it. Oh, it's a uh, Brooks and Scarpa. Yeah. Brooks and Scarpa. So shout out to them. <laughs> that was absolutely. this giant cantilever, uh, just absolutely incredible. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. It was it was pretty cool. So so then from there we went to um, I'm trying to think where did we go from there? We went up through towards Jackson Hole, and um, on the way to Jackson Hole we stopped at Park City, Utah. So we spent two nights there and did some incredible mountain bike rides and really liked that area. It's a pretty amazing how little trees there are for such a ski town i mean it's not a heavily wooded area it's kind of again like kind of high desert and you know utah is a very dry climate kind of like california even even more so maybe Um, the snow is super light and dry there so it's it's pretty cool beautiful old school downtowns we saw a lot of those on the trip um did a bunch of bike rides there and stuff which was which was fun and then we went to um we got further along the road, but we didn't make it all the way to Jackson. We stopped in this little town called Afton, Wyoming, which is like a little cowboy town. They claim to have the the largest, um, what do they call it? The largest elk horn arch crossing the street. And uh, so it's just, you know, elk horns, you find them everywhere up there, I guess, um, because it's just open land and tons of elk. And they... Uh, they <laughs> built this big steel arch and clad it with Elkhorn, which you, you might want to spec on your next project. It looks pretty incredible. Well, you know, I mean, elk are more there. I think I'm going to go with deer horn here. <laughs> yes. So uh, we stayed at this cool um, 
cool old hotel, four stories, no elevator, like that old. <laughs> and uh, and just like really cool room that we got on a hotel tonight because it was, you know, we're oh, just kind of that figured it out on the way. We didn't plan yeah. these stops ahead of time. Um, it was called Coulter's Lodge. Very cool place. Uh, then we worked our way up to Jackson and we hung out there for a couple of days, met up with my parents at that point and um, learned how to use their trailer. And then we grabbed the trailer and took off for the rest of our, uh, I think the remaining two weeks basically at that point and uh, went up through Yellowstone, Tetons, Tetons and then Yellowstone Um and unfortunately, when we got to Yellowstone, because of another little fire, uh, they had closed the road to Old Faithful from the direction we were coming, so it would have it put it way out way out of the way for us. So we didn't get to go back to that point, but we were there just a few years ago. Um, and so we went up through the, the what's called the Grand Canyon of the Yosemite or the Yellowstone, not Yosemite. Um, Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone and giant waterfalls. It's just so much water there. I think that's the thing that always strikes me coming from California is how much water there is in other states because <laughs> there isn't much here. Uh, it's, Yours is just on the border. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in one place. It's called the Pacific ocean. Yeah. 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 So um, just huge, huge waterfalls. Oh, and there's this really cool um, lodge in Yellowstone and I'm, it's called the, um, canyon lodge and so it's it's kind of up by that grand canyon of the yellowstone area and Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool because there's this whole um like little installation like info installation on the the construction of that and there's this whole thing called mission 66 and they were basic yeah yeah, so they're building all these mid-century modern buildings and this this lodge is just incredible it's this giant open glue lamp beam kind of mod, mid-century modern with these incredible light fixtures it was it was really cool and uh, you know just unexpected in a place like that because you know if you if you look at that like in contrast to the old faithful lodge which is right. oh, yeah very just intricate lodgy. but very lodgy right and and just made out of w- the wood from the area right there that and they never they never milled it right so it's just like it's like these are the trees. We will use these exact trees to build the, the building. So um, that's what they did. Um, from there, we went up through the, I think it's called the Mammoth Springs area, <clears throat> which is like northwest corner of Yellowstone, which is those those incredible kind of crystalline pools, and uh, just just you know again kind of overshadowed by the smoke from California at this point. Um, just very smoky everywhere. <clears throat> so just a kind of a quick drive through Yellowstone. Um, did see some, some elk up at that point and some buffalo along the way, which was super cool. And then we drove up to, um, went through a little campsite on the way up to, through Bozeman, Montana kind of working our way up to Glacier. So we, um, again, like just clouded in smoke through Bozeman. Um, but that's where I sent you that picture of the Land Cruiser and the Bronco. It was just oh, yeah. cool old cars. Um, and uh, 
just a, a cool place for sure. And then we went up through Missoula, which was a fantastic city. Um, I'd love to check, spend more time there and check it out some more. Did some cool mountain bike rides there. Went to this old, like four story antique shop. Um, spent, spent a few hours there. And, uh, and then we went, we were headed to Glacier and I was at this like pilot gas station and just hanging out, waiting for the family to use the bathroom outside. And this guy is coming out and he, and he had a rig parked right next to ours. And he was just like, I, I was asking him cause I saw his cool bikes hanging off the back, what he's been up to. He's like, Oh, we just did this thing called the Hiawatha trail. You have to hmm. do it. And I was like, well, what's that? And he's like, okay, so on the border of Idaho and Montana, there's this decommissioned railroad track that they've turned into a bike path. And it's 15 miles long one way. And at the end, you just get in a shuttle and come back to the top. Or you can ride back if you want, but it's like a 1.5% grade. So it's just like this easy coast all the way down. And Hmm. they've taken out all the train stuff and you they, they've kind of re-leveled it with with dg gravel whatever and you go through 10 tunnels and over seven trestle bridges along wow. this 15 miles it sounds awesome it was incredible and the very first yeah we did we totally went like three hours out of our way to to do this <laughs> And the very first thing you do is you go through a 1.7 or 1.8 mile long tunnel and it's dripping wet and you're splattering mud up all over yourself and it's probably 40 degrees in there, 35 degrees. It's freezing cold inside because you're right in the middle of a mountain. And uh, so you you go through this. You cannot see the other side. You know, it's like slightly curving or whatever um, until you're way, way, way in it. There's two water troughs on each side that are just running water that are, you know, from all the water collected from it dripping in there. So they kind of pushed it off to the sides. And um, this guy actually told us there's like trout in there inside the tunnel swimming in those little streams, which is pretty cool. And uh, And then you go from there on through all these other tunnels and over these trestle bridges and you just kind of explore and they've got these insulations of information all the way down the trail. And it, it was just incredible. So super, super cool um, experience. And and so then from there we went up to Glacier. So that that's kind of like the halfway mark of our trip. Um, and then, so at Glacier, one thing I have to say about kind of experiencing the national parks right now that's pretty incredible is there's no tour buses. Like all the tour, because of COVID, right? There's no tour buses at running mm. at all, um, which are always a pain because you can never like park, right? And there's big crowds pouring out of tour buses and onto tour buses. And I'm not talking about like the, sh- the shuttles for the parks. That's kind of hit or miss. Like the one was running in Zion. Like the, the one in Glacier like was the- not. But like that full on coach buses, you know, yeah, those aren't there's none of those right now. So, wow. well, that's that's a positive. Probably good. Yeah, exactly. totally, totally. So I I found it. It's the Hiawatha um, route of the Hiawatha. Yes, it, that's it. God, that looks. I mean, I'm just looking at it. Photos on the actual website. It's, it's ridethehiawatha.com, and uh, it is. 
just I mean, even just like the first shot, which is just you riding over a trestle bridge is amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you're a railroad person at all, and even if you're not, like the views are stunning. And standing on top, they have a bridge that's like, I can't remember, 235 or 325 dyslexia feet tall. Um, and <laughs> it's really incredible to see they they have these installations showing how they built them and how fast they built this stuff and like that tunnel that we went through was 1908 right like they built this entire section of train tracks in like three years and just the amount of work and of hard 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 labor to do that is just incredible and and fr- and from then on like everybody pretty much took it for granted right yeah. <laughs> because it was already there uh, but just an incredible installation of, uh, you know, infrastructure. It's kind of like it's kind of like Hoover Dam level stuff because it was twenty twenty five years earlier. I don't know twenty, yeah, probably twenty years earlier. So you would totally dig. I mean, it's very similar, and it's at least just it's not too terribly steep. Um, but the uh, CNO Canal. Um, which, you know, is the old Chesapeake and Ohio oh, um, yeah. River Canal, which was basically the, so, you know, um, a lot of the shipping couldn't go up and down the Chesapeake, I mean, sorry, the, uh, um, Potomac because it was just, you know, a lot of like rapidy areas, rocky areas and stuff like that. So right next to it, they built, um, the CNO Canal and, um, and and so, you know, they have the towpath, which is, you know, and where they would actually like have horses, you know, horse drawn pathways where, you know, you would like hook your boat up to it and, you know, have the horse kind of like pull you through certain areas and, and things like that, you know, more shallow areas and, and stuff like that. And so now it's just um, uh, and I'm looking online. So this is not something that I have readily available on my head, but 184 miles of trail um and you know it was built in 1831 and um operated until like the early 1900s and it's just in and we hike a a lot of it because you know we've got it um you know it it goes basically from you know uh, dc like all the way up into um cumberland maryland and all this other stuff so like the whole western border of um, Maryland, which is the Potomac river, it, you know, it's got this full length of this uh, canal and it's got very similar things. It's a, you know, there's, there's tunnels and there's, you know, all of these other things. And, you know, like you're, you're literally like in certain cases, you're like standing, you're like walking past, um, you know, like these high rapids that are, you know, just to your West. And it's just, it's, it's some, some pretty cool stuff. So that's awesome. You come out here and do that too. Well, yeah, because I mean, again, if if it's a canal, right? There's no like rise or fall to it, really. They unless they have like inverts and stuff. But it's well, I mean, there's there's like tons of locks. Like, yeah, um, that's you know, cool. So like, which is really really cool. I mean, there's like I don't know, like it feels like there's a couple hundred locks um, through the length of this thing, and so it, you know it descends from like the you know the Allegheny. I mean, not the uh, um, that um, yeah, like the Allegheny Mountains and stuff or yeah. Cumberland area and it kind of like descends all the way down to you know um 
elevation to you know some high elevation down to dc it like yeah. t- basically spills you out into um georgetown and uh, i'm looking right now on their website and they've got a whole like elevation profile yeah it's pretty incredible yeah so 185 miles long jeez very cool and it's so cool to like just see like all of these little there's like all these like little um uh just like lock houses and yeah falls and rock climbing and all this other stuff sweet yep okay i'll put it on the list we'll be there I'll bring you the cannondale i was gonna say bring me that cannondale <laughs> oh man so so this is the only part of the trip that i actually booked so that we made sure that we got the same campsite for the same for the whole time we were there um six nights at glacier and so we stayed outside of glacier about nine miles in this little town called hungry horse montana and fantastic little rv park very small um beautiful amazing showers and stuff um which i do recommend like if you're staying somewhere for a while and you don't yes (laughs) but i mean we had an rv right we had our own little shower but it's so tiny you don't want to be in that <laughs> and you don't want to have to worry about running out of hot water because it doesn't hold a whole lot and we had four full-size people so um yeah i mean and they just had a fantastic facility so we from there was kind of our home base and we we went off to glacier and it just i i think i sent you some of the photos here and you were like why are you sending me these to make me jealous right <laughs> yeah yes because it was uh it was fantastic i had no idea what glacier was like i didn't do a ton of research up front which was more like intentional we wanted to just learn about it as we went and sure like the old days oh and i have to tell you the coolest thing we bought the whole trip was a 25 dollar national geographic road atlas of the u.s and what it's uh like yeah, like a full-on real road atlas. Uh, mm-hmm. Spiral bound, which is key. All their old ones were not. They were stapled and they'd fall apart after yep. years yep. of use. Um, and not only that, but the National Geographic one, I have to say, is like absolutely amazing because it has so much information on stuff that I care about, like the national parks and the activities that you can do in different places that are all outdoors-based. So... I mean, it was that was a that was awesome. Where it's it's going with us everywhere from now on. And we were pretty intentional about not using the internet to find as much as we could, like we have on previous, and just kind of experience things like how we used to experience things, and really try to disconnect more than usual. Um, so once you get to Glacier, Glacier right now is is only accessible from the west side. The east side, there's a, a reservation, and they've got the road closed due to COVID. Um, and so the west side is, I think, pretty much the main entry, and you can't get into Canada anyway, which is where that road leads. Um, so, um, yeah, it's shut down on the eastern side. But it doesn't – it's okay. Yeah, I, I – I would have liked to stay in, get to and stayed in Canada, but maybe, maybe next time. Um, so they have this road called the Going to the Sun Road that cuts through Glacier National Park. And again, an incredible 
infrastructure project from i think the early 30s kind of around the same time as hoover dam and those larger infrastructure projects were going on to kind of employ people right right out of the depression yeah so just incredible incredible engineering and construction and like has stood the test of time it's just so so this road you drive through the park and you get all of these incredible vistas and um peaks and valleys and passes and lakes and you know it's glacier carved i mean it's like i right. and again i kind of didn't have an idea of the scale of it and and when you you know some of your favorite parks are like zion and yosemite like they're pretty contained right like you're in the valley but here it's just enormous there's so much land and ground to cover uh, that you can really spend a good chunk of time just sightseeing and um, then there's tons of hiking trails all around that you can do that are um, really well documented and also like rated um, so that you know because they get a lot of tourists they don't want people getting in trouble doing something that they're not ready for Um, so very well done um, trail systems just incredible location and uh, again like Really cool mid-century modern buildings up at Logan's Pass. Um, And then you kind of keep driving along and you get to to just Lake St. Mary. And and there's, you know, that's pretty much where the road today ends. You got to turn around. Um, But but you were up there at sunset. It was just perfect timing. Um, So that that whole experience up at Glacier was super serene you're up and out of the smoke there's not as many people because there's no tour buses and uh like lake mcdonald you, i think some people call it like fruity pebble lake it's got these amazing um water-worn rocks at the all around the edge of the lake that are m- multicolor, like red and green and purple and yellow and orange and and it really does kind of look like fruity pebbles at the bottom of this lake if you if you look up lake mcdonald um it's just this incredible view of a glassy huge lake um with these beautifully colored rocks at the base of it that the glacier kind of left behind as it carved this valley so very cool area um so a lot like norway right (laughs) because it's like a fjord that you're in um but it's not filled with the ocean. It just has left a few alpine lakes behind and some, uh, yeah, a lot of snowmelt. It's all snowmelt, so it's all like crystal clear water. It's gorgeous. Um, let's see. Oh, so... Lake McDonald. Yes. Yeah. It's really, really cool. So we did this other uh, like little side trip when we were up there because a friend of mine in the office told me, you got to go to this town called pole bridge if you if you're willing to like make the drive up there it's it's not very far it's like 20 25 miles on this semi-dirt semi-paved mostly potholed road and um mm-hmm. uh, you drive up there and this town is it's not a town it's two buildings two proper buildings and a bunch of sheds um that runs entirely on generators diesel generators so okay. no power up there and um the population of the city i think he said was 45 during the summer and gets down to 12 in the winter Uh, only 12 people will actually stay there 
just to kind of keep things heated and taken care of, or they just don't care to go somewhere else. But most people go somewhere else warmer for the winter because it's brutal. Um, and you know, awesome little cafe bakery gift shop thing that, you know, basically supports the entire town for like four months. And then the other eight months of the year, they're just like trying to survive. Right. Um, from there, we drove up six more miles on a really, really dirty road, dirt road, up to Bowman Lake, which is similar to Lake McDonald, but even less people. And now you're within 20 miles of Canada and just incredibly serene, beautiful um, hiking spot. And like, if you want to get away from people, this is an amazing place to go. So, I mean, that was... How dark, how dark was it out there? How dark? How dark? It was yeah. cloudy, so it got yeah. dark, but you couldn't see the st- the stars. Like it was pretty, pretty crazy that the first night we had such an amazing view of the stars, and then pretty much after that we never did again, um, hmm. because of various reasons, either smoke or clouds. Um, we actually got maybe a little tiny bit of rain on the trip, but not much. Um, but other cool places to see up there, Whitefish, Montana, this awesome, uh, town. Um, and we started to work our way back down on our third week, basically coming back down and, and going straight down into Idaho. And we did a couple of hot springs explorations. So we did this hike at, it's called Goldbug Hot Springs. And you, it's like a two-mile hike, and it's like you're reading the reviews about it, and it's oh, it's not that bad. It's it's it gets a little intense at the end, and like the last quarter mile, I would say the last half mile, it starts to get pretty intense. The last quarter mile, it's like you're going straight up a mountain <laughs> over rocks, um, and the sun is just going down. By the time we got there, we like dropped the trailer, got the truck, ran up the road parked at the spot and started hiking as fast as we could. We got up to the hot spring after like this <laughs> strenuous two mile hike, uh, watched the sun finally last rays and sitting in this hot pool of water. That's just, it's just poor. There's a bunch of pools up. There's probably 50 pools. I think they said, and, uh, walked down like it was pitch black. And luckily had our my phone not not even my wife's phone so all four of us are going down this now the inverse of strenuous uh hike in the complete darkness with an iphone flashlight and yeah. it was like yeah don't do that oh hoping it was charged <laughs> enough <laughs> yeah luckily like it was it was halfway charged and i'm like oh man i hope this lasts and it, it had no problem but it, still it was like that was poor planning <laughs> 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 so many things could have gone wrong. Uh so yeah, it was it was pretty awesome um experience and and then the next day we went down through Idaho to Stanley and we went to this cool old um what they now you know call a ghost town, but it was um Custer Ghost Town. Yeah. And we're driving up through this canyon to get to it, you know, pulling the trailer, dirt road. I'm like, I'm so done with dirt roads at this point. And um, like a really nice dirt road. I shouldn't, it's, it wasn't that bad, but I just, you know, co- coating everything in dirt yet yet again. And um, it's this kind of 
a little bit reconstructed ghost town, but on the way up, there's this enormous dredge that is just super rad. Um, it's a you can actually tour the dredge and see like, but it's incredible the amount of destruction that this thing caused. And now they're actually in the process of putting this canyon back to its natural habitat, which has just got to be an incredible amount of work. But just piles and piles of rocks for 20 miles that this thing has dredged up when they were looking for gold. Like, just an incredible amount of destruction. Up to this town called Custer, where there was a mill and quite a large town. And now there's, like, a few buildings left. And super cool to just be up there and, and be able to see places like that. It was was pretty cool. And then from there, we hit another hot spring um, in the river in the Salmon River, which was just pouring out of the side of the road, 140 degrees, and they had these pools kind of mixing it with river water. You didn't have to walk, walk ex- except for like 30 feet to get to these, so that was my wife's favorite one. Um, and then down through Twin Falls to see the Little Niagara, which was pretty awesome, and then through the Hellscape, which is Nevada, back to California. Could have skipped that part. To uh, the new hellscape. Yes. Yeah. Um, we actually stayed in this cool, like our last night of camping before we got back to Lake Tahoe, where we we're going to drop off the, the trailer back to my parents at their place. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed at this little RV park in Wells, Nevada, which is like absolutely nowhere. Um, and it's an oasis. It's a it's total like little, they've got, a natural spring, a couple of creeks running through, all these big giant trees. It was gorgeous. And then just like in the middle of absolutely nothing, like craters of the moon is out there. There's it's desert and lava flows and no vegetation except for like this one little spot. So that was, that was a sweet find by my wife on the way back down as we kind of just worked our way back. Um, then spent a few days in Tahoe with my brother and his wife and their my nephew and um, with my parents. Then we drove back down through Mammoth and did some bike rides in Mammoth. And by the time we got to Mammoth, there's this big Shaver Lake fire that has been, that just started and the smoke had already made it all the way up to Tahoe when we were up there. We got to Mammoth and it just looked like Armageddon. It was just orange sky, like those pictures you were talking about of San Francisco, ash raining down, brutal, nasty, and then we got home to our house, and it looked exactly the same the entire way from Mammoth down. So the fires have just been brutal, so terrible. So, man, that was a lot. I mean, we did a lot. And you can ask me some other time if I'm happy to be back or not. But It's, it's going to take a little while. <laughs> I'm prob- probably happy to, like, you know sleep in your own bed but yes that's about it yeah but then you know when you wake up and you're just like oh man i wish i would have done this or this or yeah i can't wait to get back no i think you mean i can't wait to be on a team's call all day long every day true yeah teams yay yeah that's what it's been like since i've been back just like okay now i will sit and stare at the screen all day instead of walking through this refreshing and so how did the how did the kids do school 
send you guys were back or did they not? Yeah, so we we did have a couple of difficult like time constrained things because of online class meetings that had to happen. Um mm-hmm. but but we did it wasn't all six of us, it was four of us. The other two are already in school and could not go. Yeah. Um and it just timing wise is how this whole thing worked. But the the but the two that did go, she is taking a college course that did meet online and so it was like hot spot where are we do we have signal let's make this happen and the other one we just started once we got back because homeschooling so that wasn't it wasn't as difficult as okay some other people have it but yeah i was was like oh that'd be great to do but I, i mean literally like so they have um you know the high school and middle school just uh well actually even college all started and you know they've got very set times um they've got to be on camera so they can actually like that they're there see you know that they're there and all this other stuff and so mm-hmm. you know just like yeah, how would we you know do something like that it, i mean if if they didn't need to like do that i don't see there any being any need for us to actually like being home-based yeah and and you know like my oldest is is it's interesting because this is the first semester that they've not that they've had to do the distance learning for real and for everybody and every class he was trying to sign up for was like tbd 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 and it's like what is going on like how do they not have this figured out it was and, and what it turned out it was it was there are actually no class meetings it's just assignments And it's all just done via text input and discussion forums through whatever they're using, whatever system they're using, Blackboard or Canvas or whatever. So he actually could have gone and not had any issue at all, Um, but it just didn't work out that way because we just didn't know. And nobody is good at communicating this, like the expectation around this kind of stuff. Absolutely no indication of how that was going to work. All it said was TBD. No, ours, uh, well, ours have been very, very regimented. Um, you know, my oldest is taking 15 hours and they have class meetings as if they were, you know, in class, in person. Yeah, that's that's what my daughters are. And it's whatever, two or three times a week. And she does have to be on a Zoom call. But the cool thing is, I mean, you actually can do that from anywhere. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they'll yeah. even ask her, hey, where are you today? She's like, I'm in a campground in Montana. You know, and and it's like that's fine, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, so is she just uh like streaming from an iPad with data or Yes, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. So and and she, you know, she appreciates the ability to connect and see those other people for sure. Um, even though it's not in the real world. I mean it's all done virtually, but yeah, she. It was good for her to kind of have that break from the isolation of just being with the family as a sixteen-year-old. You know, she she definitely that helped her. I think in a good way. Yeah, yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, uh, and then other than that, I mean, she's just typing up her, th- doing her reading, typing up her stuff. So this is a college course. She's a she's a junior in high school. Right. So, but she's taking this at the local community college online and. uh She's really enjoying it. So it's like an honors English class. It's pretty cool. 
all of her other stuff is self self directed or not self directed, but homeschool and the curriculum is is always kind of just done by yourself, and then you submit things through so that somebody else can check them at some point. Hmm. That's very cool. Works out. That works out. Yeah. So see that I mean you know that's uh, what people should be doing. Yeah, you know, Why giving not? them a giving them an education with you know a, a, an education within the education. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not that many people get to experience a fifteen mile long decommissioned railroad where you would get a history lesson the whole way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, the cool things was when we first moved here and my son was in an art class and they're like, today we're going to learn about, um, you know, this artist or that artist. I'm like, wait, you know, at the National Gallery, they've got this guy, you know, this some work of this person or that person. Let's go, you know, you learn what you need to learn in class. Let's then let's go and like hang out with them and like stare at their work and. I remember he was uh, doing a, a project on Calder and, you know, I mean, hell, you walk into the National Gallery of Art and there's this big, massive Calder, mm-hmm. you know, sculptor mm-hmm. hanging there just, you know, for you to just sit and stare at. That's so awesome. Um, and so, like, you know, things like that, you know, it's like, hey, let's learn about, I mean, even when you're, you know, you're having fun and learning at the same time, those are the things, those are the, to me, those are the fun trips. Now, they... Like I remember they used to get so taxed sometimes. Is this more history? Like, yes, yes, it is more history. Man, that's boring. But <laughs> check out the architecture that's holding it up. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like you look at like, you know, the fun, cool scenery and I'll look at the architecture and then we'll both be happy. Yep. You could have a good conversation about it. We one of the things that we did on the trip was we I total recommendation here is uh you know, Audible, right? Um, not a sponsor, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we listened to most of, we didn't get all the way through it. Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. And yeah, okay. every chapter is a rule and amazing discussions came after every single chapter because we just had a discussion about it. Right. And, and it was like, just really it, what's what's amazing to me is the rules are very simple simply stated um mm-hmm. but there's so much depth behind each one and why and how this like applies evolutionarily as humans um and why this matters and it's like how you should behave it's how you should there's so many things right in in here that are very simply stated on the surface but there's so much depth to it and I I personally love that depth to it. And he self narrates the book. Um, So it's really well done. And when you're on a long road trip, I mean, it's seriously one chapter will take two, two and a half hours to listen to. And then you can have like a 30 minute discussion about it or, or longer. And, and it's just, it was amazing. It was a really amazing educational experience to have as a family and coming from different perspectives and asking questions and getting responses from the younger perspective in their insight is also really interesting. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I recommend that book, but I also just recommend the whole, you know, on a road trip doing the audible thing. 
is oh yeah we awesome we did often uh last <laughs> the one uh we were um the last one when we were going up to um salem you know not only did we do which was a very short book um sleepy hollow but then we were also um the uh works of hp lovecraft listening to a little bit of a horror stuff awesome yeah that it was it was fun so i mean man am i ready to go back to work i i am refreshed on some level and on another level it's just like this year has been so rough right that will i ever be i i just don't feel like i'm in the right mind ever i feel like i'm constantly questioning myself what i'm doing where i live like there's so many things like that um and i just wonder how many other people are feeling like that because it's there's so much of our lives that has been turned upside down it's like re reanalyzing questioning things constantly there's so much movement there's this there's this website um i got to look it up i have it on my phone here um but i thought it was pretty pretty funny it was uh transplant.2 and it's basically where people are moving to and from it's this whole like almost infographic-y kind of website but it's it's live data and it shows basically how how many people are moving into these big cities how many people are moving out of these cities if you're from LA like where are most of the people from LA moving where are the most people from New York moving and it's you know it's it's the big cities are the main like where all most of the movement is happening obviously New York City a lot of people moving out but also a lot of people moving in and so like there's these top 5 cities LA Seattle New York um Chicago Dallas San Francisco and it's just funny to see like this location swap, basically. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people leaving New York to San Francisco. There's a lot of people from San Francisco going to New York. It's it's just like there's so much change happening right now. There's so much transplanting of people and ideas. Um, and like we were up in Tahoe. I think my, my brother did a survey of his neighborhood. And it's a 400% increase in people. Because so, everyone from San Francisco, the whole Bay Area, has just moved up there because they already had vacation homes up there. And so now they're living there full time. And now people are driving 50 miles an hour down the street where, with his three-year-old playing in the front yard. And he's just like, this sucks, right? So they're like the fabrics of our cities are completely changing, uh, maybe temporarily, but maybe not. Um Whereas, like, you see a video from New York and the streets are empty and people are walking down the middle of the street. Yeah. 